With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Adam Jones and Dave Prentice as a Tudor fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park. And as always, a busy and action-packed week. And we are looking ahead to Sunday's trip to Newcastle as a Blues to look to rebound and react to last weekend's disappointment on the South Coast at Southampton. We will get straight into it, Adam. And I think the most appropriate place to get straight into is the team news. Carlo Ancelotti is giving his press conference this afternoon. Um, it's a bit of a mixed bag in terms of fitness updates, isn't it? And, and I think mm-hmm. most people will be a little bit disappointed. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I think the most disappointing, of course, is James Rodriguez is going out. Uh, we did debate earlier in the week over is actually how fit he actually was for that Southampton game. Obviously, you know, he was initially a doubt for that Southampton game, and it was only in the last couple of days of that week that it, it transpired that he would actually be available for that game. Whether he was still carrying uh, that injury from the Liverpool game into that one or not, you know, he, d- he did seem to be tiring towards the end of that Southampton game, didn't he? So, uh, yeah, Carlo Ancelotti confirmed that this weekend he'll be out, he'll be resting a little problem, as Carlo mm-hmm. Ancelotti I think called it so obviously that's going to I think that's hugely disappointing because Everton were were lacking in an attacking sense against Southampton with Hamid Rodriguez so without them for Newcastle game it does it does suggest that something needs to be altered a little bit in the side uh, James Coleman still being out is uh, a bit of a concern as well you know we discussed earlier in the week how much Everton missed his you know not just him as an, as an individual with his you know leadership and the qualities that he brings as a right back, but you know, just his his whole effect on the team around him as well. Uh, I think his absence is going to be a key one. But thankfully, John Joe Kenny will is fit, and uh, you pro- probably expect him to be start right back, wouldn't you? You know, yeah, come straight back in, uh, and he's played well. I think when he's been called upon this season, in, in uh, especially in the League Cup games that he's been called upon. So this will be an interesting test for and Brantwaite uh, again as well, which I think. Is interesting. It adds another adds another dimension to centre back. It perhaps opens up options for Carlo Ancelotti to switch the formation in the absence of James Rodriguez. Maybe we've got four four centre options now, haven't we? So could he perhaps change to like a, a three at the back sort of system, uh, especially with Niels and Kunku set to come in uh, at left back? Would he work better as a left wing back? I think it. I think it's it. It is still interesting and, and opens up a few options for him. But yeah, as you say, I think the the main Disappointing thing is that James Rodriguez is going to be out for the first time this season. So it'll be interesting to see how Everton react to that. Mm, probably on a neat segue, Adam has, has, has broached the subject of formation. And, and, and that's what struck me when I was listening to Carlo go, no Rodriguez, no Coleman, Richarlison obviously suspended, Luca Dean obviously suspended. And you're thinking, well, there's three of, of the team's yeah. most creative players. And, and, and the stats would back that up, wouldn't they? As well as, as our sort of our knowing eye. And I did think this screams change of formation to me. 
I thought exactly the same thing myself. I mean, it's going to be a massive test anyway. When you think about how influential fullbacks are in modern football and how important Everton's two fullbacks have been, you know, Lucas D and Seamus Cobb, massive. So to take them both out of the equation and then Richarlison, who's like arguably like one of the greatest goal threats, and James Rodriguez, who's one of the most like creative, you know, individuals. Yeah, it needs fairly serious thinking. Ends itself probably two, you know, switching the formations of three at the back. Uh, you know, Ben God- Godfrey would be more comfortable there, you would imagine, uh, than he was yeah. a, a fullback last week. We've got players that can play in the wide positions. John Joe Kenny's probably better suited to a right wing back role. And then whoever you go for on the left, whether it's Unkunku, whether it's Anthony Gordon, you know, so you, you've got players there that probably would be more comfortable playing that role as well. The first thing that came into my, my mind myself when I saw the players that were missing, I thought that that, that could be a possibility. Adam, we've we've seen Nkanku um, exclusively in the cup this, but of course, look, West Ham had made changes, but it was a fairly fairly strong, you know, on paper West Ham team full of players with plenty of Premier League experience. I remember seeing a, a table of his stats. I think the other day somebody tweeted off the table of his stats in his three games, to, three League Cup games that he's had this season. Really interesting analyst. His attacking in the Dolph for the Meatwood game compared to his defensive stats in the West Ham game. I think he kind of moulded his performance around the opposition that he was facing. But they're still going to provide, you know, with respect to Fleetwood and Salford, they're going to provide more of a threat than Fleetwood and Salford are uh, being League One and League Two uh, teams. So he wasn't just bombing forward like he did against Salford and Fleetwood. I think he was much more aware of his position on the pitch and his uh, defensive capabilities and the amount of tackles that he put in the game were really good, really good in setting some good clearances. Maybe we didn't see that uh, reflected in his attacking output in that game, but you know we had more creative players on the pitch, further up the pitch, who were going to take that job up anyway. So fingers crossed, in my case, you know, obviously we're missing the likes of Richardson and James Rodriguez, but fingers crossed, you know, not too much of the attacking burden will be placed on Kunku, uh, whether he plays as a left back, left wing back. Uh, whatever he plays as uh, for this game, but uh, I, I he's in that game against West Ham. I think he clearly showed that he's defensively capable to play against the Premier League team. So it would be really interesting to see it uh, again this weekend because, but I think defensively, especially this season, defensively he's been really, really good. You know, one on one against any winger that's coming against them. You know, I've been backing Luca Dean to be a. Uh, to be winning battles, you'd think that Steve Bruce would be looking at it, thinking, Oof, "If if they're going to have an inexperienced left back playing there, we might go and target them." You know, they've got players like Almiron and Saint Maximan, of course, who can who can cause real problems for even the most experienced left backs in the Premier League. So, I've, I've got no doubt that it'll be the biggest test of Nkunku's uh, time at Everton so far if he was to start this game. But from what I saw in the West Ham game in particular, from his defensive output, I think he's easily the capabilities to be able to spin and do a job there. And Preno, of course, we, we should mention, because obviously when you guys did Monday's pod, uh, this news dropped Tuesday evening, uh, Evan successfully appealing the uh, the red card of Luca Dean, getting it reduced to one match. Um, did you think there were grounds for it to be uh, thrown out altogether all and that the, the, the red card to be overturned? Or do you think we've actually done pretty well to get it reduced? Well, I think I said at the time on uh, in Monday's that I had no confidence whatsoever in it actually being overthrown uh, because I think you've got to try and prove that there's been like sort of some kind of you know, sort of gross injustice or something. But I think there were two elements to the appeal, and Everson cleverly uh, went for the excessive punishment. 
Um, obviously fearing the way I felt felt that it was never going to get overthrown, so let's try and get it reduced. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I was pleased, absolutely delighted to see it reduced, because I, I still think it should never have happened. I still believe it was an accident. And, you know, so if you can't chase back to the player, um, you know, so the, the game, what, what's the phrase? The game's gone. You know, so <laughs> the, 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 the game really has gone, if that's the case. Uh, but, uh, A, I was delighted to see I wasn't speaking so vociferously about it after the game. I think Carlo Ancelotti labelled it a joke. Uh, I was pretty us actually contest this as forcefully as we did and also as cleverly as we did uh, in just getting the you know so reduced rather than the possibility of getting it you know so overturned completely which was quite distant thought so yeah I was a I, I don't think it would have happened full stop. I still don't think he should have been sent off, but he was. I think if the referee had gone across and looked at a monitor at the time, I think maybe that might have you know, sort of negated that. But as it was, I think we probably got the best possible outcome that we could have hoped for. Unfortunately, it means that we've still a headache uh, this weekend against Newcastle, which we could have done without, given the other headaches that you know, Sir Carlo also has to solve. But bottom line is it's a huge test for the squad. What do they always say that, you know, so one place misfortune is another place opportunity. And, you know, if Anthony Gordon gets the opportunity to shine, he's been absolutely desperate to try and, you know, sort of make an impact. And it has made an impact whenever he's come on, whenever he's been given opportunities in a cow cup side. So maybe this could be a chance for him to show he can do it even more. And then equally, you know, so whether Andre Gomez is recalled again, I don't know, because we mentioned in the pod earlier this week, you know, so how frustrated we were by the way the midfield looked so lack. And you know, he beats his contribution being a little bit underestimated in terms of the balance he brings to the midfield rather than the actual contributions that you know he's personally input this season. So, yeah, an awful lot of uh questions for Mr. Ancelotti to answer this. Weekend. We've spoken about this on the pod for as long as it's been ongoing. I've written it a number of times, we don't take any pleasure in repeating it. But of course, Everton have not won a Premier League game without Richarlison. Of course, there's a, there's a caveat only on, on Boxing Day, in his, I think, in his uh, in that first season where he was on the bench and the game was pretty much won. But, you know, strictly speaking, he was involved and scored. So, do you have confidence that that, run, that, that unwanted record can be broken this weekend? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not speaks volumes. <laughs> well, I think <laughs> I, I would have had confidence before before the Swanton game, but like that was that was when I had you know complete faith in Alex Iwobi to, to step into the team and you know not replace Richarlison's attributes because I think he, Richarlison is a uniquely talented player, not just for Everton but across the Premier League as well. I don't think there's many players who can be so adept at playing across all three positions across the front. You know he's so physical, so skillful, quick offers a goal threat, offers a creative outlet. You know, it's going to be so hard for any one player to step into the side and try and recreate that. But at the same time, I don't think Alex Iwobi really lived up to what I think he can do as a player. I think, I, I, I still have in the back of my head that I don't think he's naturally a winger. I still think he'd be better uh, in a more central role if, with the current formation that Everton have got. I'm not sure how many chances he's going to get to play in that more central role, though. So, so on that, I'd sorry to interject. I mean, you know, you talk about maybe thinking that Ancelotti could go to three at the back, three five two. It will be, <laughs> be behind Calvert Lewin. I think it could be an option, and I think it would be an option I wouldn't be particularly opposed to. But given what Ancelotti said in his press conference again today about Gilfie Sigurdsson and about his you know, ability to play in multiple different positions. He, Ancelotti was very clear that Gilfie Sigurdsson's 
had some very good performances this season. I think he would probably prefer to yeah. play Sigurdsson in there. And I think in terms of a all-out goal threat, I'd say Sigurdsson's probably going to be more dangerous than Alex Iwobi in that position because I mean, we even saw it against Southampton. And I think I said on the podcast earlier this week, if you know that if that goal, if that shot, sorry, from Sigurdsson, which Adam's off the bar, that just a couple of inches lower and it goes in. Do Everton lose that game in the manner that they did? I probably don't, don't think so. I think we could have got a draw, probably could have even won that game, to be honest, if that goal goes in. So, you know, that's the kind of quality the Ophi tickets can offer. I don't think he particularly had a good game, to be honest, against Southampton. But, no. you know, he still he still produced Everton's, you know, Everton's probably best opportunity of the game, uh, to be honest. So if he can if he can maybe step up performance be a little bit more creative. I think being close to Calvert Lewin uh, in that sense will probably help him in that in that formation. But yeah, in terms of in terms of replacing Richarlison, I, d- I do think that again just it does just itself to a formation change, doesn't it? Because you know, Obrano has talked about the uh, how good Anthony Gordon's been so far this season when given opportunities, and I completely agree. I think Gordon has been absolutely fantastic, especially in that uh, that Salford game. Believe still can't believe he didn't score in that match. To be honest, with the amount of shots he had and how close he came on multiple occasions, and I think he's going to be a really important player for the future. Even this season, I think he's going to be a really important player in this squad. But to ask him to step into Richarlison's shoes on that left wing, you know, with a young left back behind him as well, pre- presumably in Nkunku, I think that's going to be a lot of pressure on Gordon in a, in a league match. I mean. Sometimes can react to the pressure with the amount of issues that Everton are going to have to solve all over the pitch. You know, with right back being changed, some a replacement for Rodriguez having to come in, perhaps problems in midfield to solve as well. Do really new place and all that pressure on you know a left hand side of the team made up of yeah. two teenagers. Uh, yeah. It's yeah, I, th- I think that's a that offers another issue in itself. So yeah, I think. In terms of replacing Richardson, I do think it just lends itself to a formation change. And, you know, whether that be Sisson playing centrally, it will be playing centrally. Bernard, I think, needs yeah. to be involved in that conversation as well. I thought he did all right uh, when he came on against Southampton. Showed some really good uh, play for Fleetwood in particular of the season. So, is he capable of stepping into that role as well? So, mm. there's certainly options for Ancelotti uh, in terms of replacing Richardson, but I don't think anybody could ever fill in the exact responsibility to take up the team. Yeah, I think I, th- I agree that the Bernard probably should be part of the conversation. I respectfully disagree that he was good at, against Southampton. I, I was so <laughs> I was so disappointed with him when he came on. But that's that's by the by. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Just before we move on to um, the other game Sunday, we'll come to the Women's FA Cup final in a second. Um, when talking about the left-back situation, does Carlo have to give any consideration to a player who looks now looks fit? When he's been involved of late, has looked good, I think, 
Fabian Delph? It's an interesting one. I suppose it depends on how how bold and how ambitious you want to be. Um, Delph has looked great when he played in his natural position in midfield. I know he's had like you know a small spell at fullback. I don't know enough about him playing in that position, but I know Manchester City trusted it in that role. You know, he's more than competent at doing it. Whether it's um, a conservative, more defensive selection rather than a more ambitious, bold selection. And I think if you're playing through the back and fire across the middle, as we've suggested, Mike, I think you'd go for the more penetrating option, which would be either Nkunku or Anthony Gordon. Uh, but no, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Fabian Delft's. Um, you know, I know he had a very, very frustrating into his career, but times we've seen him, um, uh, he has been very, very impressive. But I think his inclusion at the weekend is largely dictated by the formation. Like I say, if it's uh, if we stick with the you know formation, you know, he could be you know sort of an option. But if we are going to change it and we're going to go for wing backs, I'm not so sure. I think other players are probably better suited. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so moving on to the uh, FA Cup, two thirty Wembley Stadium, Everton against Manchester City. Sam Carroll, who's, who's not who's not at work today, so can't come on the pod. He, he's probably the man in the office with, with more expertise on this game than any of us. But Adam, you know, do you sense? not just on the back of, of Everton's success, but in the last 12 months, do you sense that there's been a real kind of um, growth in the popularity in women's team? Yeah, I think certainly I've, I've been seeing it all plastered across my social media, not just, you know, with Everton getting to the final, but throughout throughout this year, as you say, it, it's been it's been huge and it's been, you know, really good to see it. It's kind of managed with, as we've seen a success under the pitch, on the pitch under uh, Willie Kirk, I think he's really changed the formations of the side around. I think over the summer as well, the amount of uh, the amount of money that was invested into squads has been really yeah. big thing. And you know, see so many you know quality players coming into the club uh, over the course of the last twelve months has really really helped them kick on. And if you've you've got to have your fingers crossed for uh, for this weekend, I think it's really interesting as well. You know, the thing. You know, like Ancelotti's little uh, chat with Willie Kirk that got put out onto social media. I think it was last night, was it? Yeah. And, you know, th- things like that are great to see. You know, we've seen pictures of them, you know, in training together in the past. But, you know, to, to see them have that, like, really heartwarming conversation before the game is really good. And Ancelotti, of course, in the press conference today, sent a message uh, to the women just saying, don't go play the final, go to win the final, mm. you know, which is... It's not going to be an easy task. Obviously, Manchester City are a fantastic team. Uh, they beat they beat Everton in the Conti Cup a couple of weeks ago, didn't they? Uh, so they'll probably have a bit of confidence going into that game. But you know, Everton will quite rightly be going into the game with a huge amount of confidence. Started the WSL season so so well. You know, almost mirroring uh, the men's yeah. team start yeah. season. To be honest, I think uh, I think they both dropped dropped their first point of the season on on the uh, on the same game week, didn't they? Yes. So, which is, which it's just so interesting how the how the uh, how the confidence around the club is sort of like managed together in this in this situation and you know, in a one-off game at Wembley Stadium, who's to, to say they can't win? They'll definitely fancy themselves with some of the performances that they've put in this season. So it, it is just a bit of a shame that it clashes with the with the yes. Newcastle game. I really I really would like to have seen you know some sort of way made on. In on in terms of the Premier League, I'd say you know changing our like the men's game against Newcastle to to maybe Four. allow yeah just Four to allow fans to 
it, it, it surely would have in, increased the viewing figures of the of the women's final, which surely everyone would want. But yeah, yeah, that's it. That's the only that's the only downside I can see from this weekend. You know, we'll be we'll be keeping up to date with that. Sam's going down to Wembley to, yes. to cover it as well, and he was he was he's extremely excited about that. I can tell you that much. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a great weekend all round. I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. It's a shame that that couldn't be in a, a blues double header in the kickoff time. Go on, Prenner. I was just going to say, yeah, I remember the last time I was in won the FA Cup uh, way back in 2010 with a, a last-minute Natasha Dowie goal, if I remember correctly, last-minute of mm-hmm. extra time. And uh, yeah. we were very, very excited about it uh, at Echo at the time. You know, it was actually front-page news. Um, and that was in an era when, you know, women's football maybe didn't quite have quite the profile that it has now. Uh, but it was it was a big deal. Uh, it was massive. Like yourselves, I'm just very, very frustrated. You can't get to watch it, and you know the way the modern world is. You're not going to be able to record it and watch it as live later because you'll hear, you'll know what's happened. Uh, so it's a little bit frustrating. But if if the powers that be, you know, so was the women's game to grow, you know, so surely staging the women's cup final in isolation has got to be a step forward. Certainly, when one of the teams involved has got the men's team in action at exactly the same time. But yes. no, I mean uh, the, the the girls have been great this season, and so yeah, um, you know, so fingers crossed, you know, toes crossed that we can pull it off. It's going to be tough, obviously. Well, Adam and I will be at St James's Park, and I'm, I'm sure one of us, if not both, will have uh, have the live game stream on the BBC website on our phone or something, try to keep up to speed <laughs> and, uh, and keeping abreast. Staying with the women, um, I'll just come back on this one. You've got you know a, a very good degree of, of high level sort of boardroom insight at Everton and, and, and understanding. Megaphone extended their deal with the football this week. Megaphone front of the shirt and a subsidiary yeah. company on the sleeve. Um, do you, and naturally, because it's Mr. Lee Shuzmanov and the companies and the holding the companies that he's involved in, do you think this brings us any closer, if at all, to uh, Mr. Usmanov one day becoming a shareholder at Everton Football Club? Wow, um, I'm not so sure it does. Um, yeah, he seems quite happy uh, to, you know, Farhad Mashiri is his close friend, you know, and, and he works very, very closely with him, and he seems quite comfortable with that arrangement at the moment. Changes sometime the line. I'm not so sure. Don't see anything that you know. So it makes me think that's the case. I mean, there are people out there that'll have you think that you know Usmanov is already a controlling, you know, so, <laughs> uh, interest everything, which he isn't. You know, so far Hadmiri is clearly the man who's uh, pulling strings there. Um, no, I think he's quite happy with the situation at the moment, and um, he's he's investing, you know, so his money into certain elements of the football club. And I'm sure he'll continue to do so in the future. Whether that extends to anything more. Uh, I'm not so sure. No, Adam, do, do you did you sense a degree kind of was it was it was a discussion and and sort of you know renewed excitement amongst sections of the fan base on the back of that announcement on Wednesday? Yeah, I think there's there's a certain section of the fan base which has this certain amount of inevitability about right, yeah. Usmanov finally finally yeah. uh, coming on board in an official sort of sense uh, as an Everton shareholder. But yeah, I, I think. On a personal level, I'd have to agree with Preno. Like we've seen, you know, like Osmanov, you know, with USM and Megaphone, etc. You know, we've seen these kind of deals happen in the past. You know, with shirt sleeve sponsors and you know, stadium name and rights in the future, etc. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't think this one is necessarily pushing me over the line. And thought, yes, now now he's going to uh, now he's going to finally get involved uh, in an official sense in Everton because. Yeah, I think as as things stand, it's it's a very 
become sort of a arrangement, isn't it? Which, you know, is allowing allowing his company to be sponsoring the club. You know, it's club record sponsorships. It seems every time, every every time they do do one of these, so it's it, it's a win win situation for everyone at the minute. So you know, I've I've got as Breno says, I've got no doubt that this probably won't be the last that we hear of uh, this sort of burgeoning relationship. So, uh, yeah, I'm interested to see where it goes in the future. It's actually wishful thinking, I think, on behalf of a number of Evertonians because he's so wealthy, because, you know, he's absolutely mega rich. And I think that's a little bit disrespectful sometimes to the work that Farhad Mashiri's done at the football club. You know, so since he came in, he's been an absolute force for good. You know, so we wouldn't be going to Bramley Mall, you know, stadium, but for him, we probably wouldn't have, you know, so the, the level of football as we've got at the football club. We wouldn't be paying Carlo Ancelotti the six or seven million a year that we're paying him if we didn't have Farhad Mashiri in charge. So let's just be thankful, you know, so for the owner we've got at the moment who's doing very, very good things for the football club. Absolutely. And Adam, you mentioned the stadium there. That's, uh, that does uh, remind me that we need to, uh, we probably need to get around the podcast table at some point within the next few weeks and, uh, and talk about the next steps, which of course December we're hoping to finally touch wood. Get that planning permission, and then it's uh, it's all systems go, isn't it? Hopefully, mm-hmm. okay. Before we round off today's pod, um, if you weren't aware as you're listening to this, there will be uh, uploaded at some at some point across the weekend a special pod uh, of the Royal Blue series uh, with Adam Preno and myself, uh, but discussing Preno's book, A Grand Old Team to Report. Um, so, if you want a dedicated podcast for that, check that out across the weekend. Um, that will be on the usual channels. Okay, chaps, so prediction time just before you both go. Gav's prediction is in. Haven't got one from Sam and Chris Beasley yet, but Gav's prediction, 2-0 Everton win. Um, wow. Adam, yeah. Adam, what's your prediction for Newcastle versus Everton? I think this will highly, highly depend on whether we change formation or not. I do think that a change of formation sets us up a little bit better. And... I would be much more confident of a win. I think Newcastle are just such an interesting team. Well, not on the pitch. Like they're, they're, <laughs> on the on the pitch, they are absolutely dour to watch. Like I've tried yeah. to watch them a couple of times this season, and it's just it it really is a slog to try and watch them sometimes. But you just don't know what Newcastle are going to turn up for most games. So uh, with our with our problems keeping clean sheets this season, I'd be loath to below to predict a clean sheet so I'm going to go 2-1 to Evan okay Prenna um, I think it's going to be a real test of, uh, of squad strength it's a very very important game this one another defeat and you know people think oh well that's it the bubble's burst you know so normal service is being resumed so it's very very important that we get a result of some kind that's going to be difficult certainly given the lack of creativity we've got and the, you know the, the significant goal threat that's taken away uh, but having said all that, I think we've got just enough, you know, so in our armory to get a draw. I think we'll, I think we'll draw one-one. And uh, I've had a little, I've done like a betting preview earlier today. And if you get Newcastle to score first and lead by half time, and Everton to come back and draw, you can get twelve to one on that. I think yeah. it's a decent bet. So you know, one-one draw, Newcastle to score first, put a fiver on it, sixty quid in your back pocket. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I, 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 I think there'll be a change of formation and I think it'll solidify the team and I think we will take, maybe Nick, a very close, probably uneventful game, 1-0. Um, I think it might be a set piece. 
Um, yeah. what, what odds that James, even though he's been ruled out, is actually in the squad on Sunday? Is Carlo sending us down the river again? Let's see. Probably not, <laughs> but uh, you never know. We could all change come one o'clock when that team sheet drops uh, on Sunday. Chaps, thank you very much for your company. Excellent, as always. And thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.